Uh, if you have your Bible, open with me to James chapter 2 as we start a new chapter. Um, and we ended, obviously, with chapter 1, but I want to remind you what the end of chapter 1 says, because it is the link by which we understand chapter 2 best. So what he began in this discussion of what is a genuine faith, what is a real relationship with Jesus Christ, he calls it undefiled, he calls it pure religion. And this is exactly what he says in verse 27, I want to read it to you, it says, a pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, he says to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world or from the world. Now that is important for us to understand because he gives us an explanation. He says, if you want to be unstained by the world, if you want to live a life of genuine faith in Jesus Christ, then you will take care of the orphans. You will take care of the widows. And what he's talking about is not just the orphan and the widow, and so no one else matters. What he is saying is by example that we are to commit our lives to the least of these the marginalized, the down and out. And it is because of that understanding, he says, this is what it really looks like to be unstained by the world. But in order for us to commit to the marginalized, to commit to the down and out, he now brings up a new subject, but it has everything to do with what uh, we have seen up to this point. He says this pure and undefiled religion, guess what? It is not going to have any signs of favoritism in it. Now, this is a strange subject to bring up. You would think that James could... Uh, talk about so many other things. And, and I bet if I were to imagine what is even going through your brain right now, that we would think, okay, there are so many other sins and problems and things in the world. This is not a large fish. This is a small fish to fry. Why are we even wasting time on it? Well, James says that at its foundation, that this is what it looks like for you to be a true father of Jesus, that you're going to take care of the marginalized. You're going to take care of the down and out, and you're going to do it without favoritism. Because favoritism, get this, favoritism is a sign that we don't really understand who God is, nor do we understand what his mission is. It is that big of a deal for James. And he spends 13 verses at the beginning of chapter 2 talking about what is the antidote to favoritism. Because it's something that we all deal with. It's something that you and I have to come face to face with because this is one of those blind spots that the church must come face to face with. But James gives us the antidote for how we are to deal and how we are to have wisdom through favoritism. And so if you have your copy of God's word, would you uh, turn there to James chapter 2? Uh, and then if you are willing and able, will you stand with me just in honor of reading God's word? And if you don't have your own copy of God's word, there is a Bible 
uh, in the pew right in front of you and you can take that one. Uh, that is a gift from our church to you if you don't have your own copy of God's word. Uh, but if you uh, need it, it is on the screen for you as well, okay? It says this, starting in James chapter two, verse one. It says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. For someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray together. God, will you speak to us now? Father, I'm praying, Lord, that you would remove any distractions in our lives and that may be taking up space in our mind. And God, by your spirit, Lord, that you would take your word and that you would apply it to every person here and those watching online, those listening at home. God, that you would just be so gracious to speak to us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We may be seated once again. Favoritism is obviously not new because James was dealing with it around the writing of this letter in the 40s, AD 40 to 45. And, and we also see it continue in the life of the church. You and I, we see remnants of favoritism today. You see remnants of favoritism at school. You see it at the workplace. You see it in your family. You see it all over the place. It is that common because all of us must deal with favoritism. Either somebody is using it against you or maybe you are participating in it. Whatever it may be, we all have to deal with the realities of favoritism, and not one person is removed from it. In fact, there was a man in the 1700s who went to a really nice hotel in Baltimore. The manager looked the man up and down and decided that it would not be best um, to allow this man to have a room at their hotel. This is a really fancy hotel. The manager just thought, well, if I let him in, then it's going to ruin the reputation of the hotel. We're going to lose uh, business and I'm going to lose my job. So there's no way I can let this man who is dressed like a farmer come into my hotel. Well, the man leaves without saying a word and later to find out 
uh, this manager uh, kicked out Thomas Jefferson, who was vice president at the time, who happened to just be dressed in his work clothes that day. And so the manager realizes, you've got to be kidding. I kicked out the vice president. I'm letting him have a room, okay? This is not good. Well, Thomas Jefferson receives a message from uh, the manager who says, listen, I'm going to give you the best room that even though you are only the vice president, I'm going to give you the presidential suite. All right, you can have it. It is yours. Please come back and give us your business. And through that same messenger, Thomas Jefferson sent a message back to the manager. And he said this, he said, uh, tell him I have already reserved a room. I value his good intentions highly, but if he has no room for a common American farmer, then he has no room for the vice president of the United States. I'm sure that joker got fired, you know? That was his last day there. All of us deal with favoritism. All of us deal with judging based on appearances only. And here's what James says, and what he allows us to understand first, is that there is no room for this. He gives us a clear command to resist, to resist favoritism. Now, what does it mean to resist? In order to resist, it means that you're standing firm for something, but you're also standing firm against something. That is the resistance. All right, all you Star Wars people in there, I know you're thinking about the resistance right now, but that's not what James is talking about, all right? He's talking about something much cooler than Star Wars. What he's talking about is standing firm in your faith, that you are going to resist, right, the ways of the world. This is what it means that he started in verse 27 of chapter 1 when he says that you are to be unstained by the world. What that means is that you have to resist not only temptations found in the world, but you have to resist what is normal of the world, the systems, what, what the world values, that we're going to look completely different if we're going to remain unstained by the world, that we have a different set of rules, we have a different system, and we have different values that we live by. And he says that one of these ways is simply favoritism. You have to resist the urge to look at people and understand them only based on the way that they look, their outward appearance. In fact, that's what the term here, favoritism, means. It means to hold up someone's face. That sounds weird, right? To hold up someone's face. It doesn't mean uh, literally or physically to hold up someone's face. But what it does mean is that symbolically that you hold their appearance, their face, their, you hold that in such high regard that you can't even see anything else of the person, that all of their worth, all of their value is only found in their face. It's only found in their appearance. You see, this is where James begins our understanding of this favoritism and the problem within the church. 
the problem within society of favoritism. He says you cannot look to someone's face, you cannot look to someone's outer appearance and come to an understanding of who that person is. This is not how things work in God's economy. In fact, we read all over scripture, God does not uh, look onto you uh, with uh, impartiality. He does not look onto you with favoritism. In fact, he looks on you as the righteous judge, the one who does not look outwardly, but the one who looks at the heart. This is what we see all throughout scripture of God. And every time that you and I participate in favoritism, every time you and I participate in judging others based on their appearance, we are removing our understanding of them being made in God's image. The Imago Dei is very clear. In Genesis chapter 1, the Lord says, let us go and make man in our image. And this is not man as in male. This means man as in humanity. That not one person is excluded from this because later he says, let us go and make male and female in our image, in our likeness. So you and I are a part of how God made man, that you and I are made in the image of God. And so therefore your value is not on anything externally, but rather it is found only in the fact that you are made in the image of God Almighty. And this is a big deal for us because this is why we must resist favoritism. He goes on to say this in verse four. He says, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, not only are we forfeiting our understanding of every person being made in the image of God, but there is an attempt here every time you judge someone else. Every time we participate in favoritism, what we are doing is we are attempting to remove God from his throne and put ourselves on the throne because we are telling God, you know what, Lord, you've done an okay job judging the, the earth, judging the world, and judging people, but I got this one figured out. I'm good. Let me sit there for a little bit. That is not how God works. When you and I participate in favoritism, when you and I participate in judging others solely on their outward appearance, you and I are participating in, a, in an attempt, a coup, to remove God from his throne. But he says this, he says, these two things are incompatible with genuine faith. Look what he says at the end of verse one. He says, uh, do not show favoritism as you hold on to your faith in our Lord Christ Jesus. He says these two things are incompatible. You cannot hold on to genuine faith and hold on to favoritism at the same time. These things do not work. They run against each other. You see, we read this in uh, from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
He says, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. He's saying, listen, as you are here on earth, you are to conduct yourselves as God does. You are to conduct yourselves as Jesus does. The ways not of the world being stained by the world, but rather the ways of Christ being wrapped in the likeness of Jesus Christ. We are to live this out. And you cannot do that while showing favoritism. You cannot do that while being um, partial toward others. It is impossible. He says next, he says that there is a great contradiction when we refuse the poor. You see, this is not just about the wealthy and the poor. It's a lot more than that. He's not saying that, hey, because you are rich um, in, in terms of our standard here on earth, because you are rich financially or you have plenty financially or whatever the case may be, just because you are that person, guess what? That doesn't mean that you're supposed to be treated poorly from the church. See, it's not about uh, the rich or the poor. It's about every person who belongs to the family of God. It's about every person who is yet to belong to the family of God. He's saying that this is more about my image. It is more about who I have made people to be. It is not about just rich versus poor. It is not that James is telling us, if you are rich, then you should not have a seat in the house of God. He's saying that the house of the Lord belongs to every person. And this is what he says in verse 5 about this contradiction. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God? He has promised to those who love him. You see, the contradiction that is made so clear is that it is contradictory to who God is to refuse the poor. It's a contradiction because this is the way that God works is that he came as a ransom for many. He came and gave his life for all, the rich, the poor, the wealthy, the impoverished, however you want to look at this, this is how God came and this is why he came into the world to rescue us from our sins. You see, Paul says it this way. He says it in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. We read about people being financially well off all throughout the Bible that were in the center of God's will. We read about Abraham who was wealthy, Job was wealthy, Joseph became the right-hand man to uh, Egypt's finest, to the Pharaoh. I mean, we, we don't read that uh, poverty gains you blessing from God, nor do we read that wealth gains you blessing from God. He's saying that we have to be careful in how we treat others when we base it off of something external rather than what is internal. You see, there is nothing in this world that you can add to your life that will add value to your life. Like there's nothing in this world that you can gain, whether that is fame, fortune, whether being the fittest person alive, whatever this world has to offer you, guess what? It is never going to add any value in your life. Therefore, if you lack these things, you're not going to lose value in your life. 
You have a lot of money, you don't have money. Guess what? You are no less valuable to God. You have a big house, you have a small house. Who cares? Guess what? You are not made more valuable or less valuable in the eyes of God. You see, this is how the Lord judges the earth. It has nothing to do with these external things that we think are going to add value to our life. And then if we lose it, then our life is ruined. Listen, you can't lose anything if you are in Christ. And there's nothing more to gain if you are in Christ. And this is what happens all throughout society. That we think that if I could just add this, then my life is going to be better. I'm going to be more valuable. See, that's a lie from the enemy. If your hair was just this way, or if your hair was just this way, I would be more valuable. If I was this way or this way, then I would be more valuable. If I could have this car, then I'd have more value. If I could have this house, if I could have this job, if I could have this income, if I could have this or this or this or this, if I could just get married, if I could just have a child, if I could just have these things, if this sickness could just go away. Listen, whatever it is that you think is going to add value to your life, you are being tricked and deceived by the enemy because you are as valuable as you're ever going to be. Why? Because God has made you in the image of himself and God has come to save you. He has come to rescue you, not because you have anything to add to the kingdom. You can't purchase your way into the kingdom because Jesus Christ purchased it for you by his own blood. And so here is the point of favoritism where the rubber meets the road. Listen, inside the church, we can't pretend like we're supposed to have the faith of God and someone else is not. We can't pretend as if this person belongs in the kingdom of God and this person does not. And this is why this slips in under the fence in the church. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, he said that the most segregated hour in America is at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. It's still true today. It's still true. Listen, God did not call us into his family for us to just stick with people who we're comfortable with. God didn't call us and rescue us out of the pit of hell so that you and I can just go through life and let's just do whatever is most comfortable for us. Let's just do whatever I prefer is best. No, God called you out of comfort. God called you to reach all people, all nations, all tongues, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And whoever is not like you, get over it because they belong to the family of God. And this is the church that God has called us to be. Because in God's eyes, in God's eyes, guess what? You are not valuable because you are white. You are not valuable because you are black. You are not valuable because you are brown. You are not valuable because you are yellow or red or however that song goes. They are all precious in his sight, right? But listen, your value comes because guess what? You, all people, are made in the image of God. And Jesus loves you so much that he, he came and died in your place. And guess what? Every time we practice favoritism, guess what? We are saying, you know what? I'm a little more important in God's kingdom than you are. And James is saying there is no room in the church 
for this attitude or this behavior. Why? Because it is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is antithetical to the mission of God. And when we are unwilling to change our ways so that we can reach all people for the glory of God, then guess what? You are unfit for the mission of God. Because we are not to say, well, you know what? They should just come in and and accept everything that we're already doing. Listen, it doesn't matter if you are old or young. It doesn't matter if you are black or white or Hispanic. None of those things matter. Listen, our job is not to make sure that people like what we are doing. You know what our job to truly reach all people for the glory of God is that we make difficult change so that people feel comfortable in the house of the Lord. We do the hard thing. We're not just okay with hoping that people like what we're doing or hoping that people like how we are trying to reach people for for the glory of Jesus Christ. No, no, no. We change who we are so that the mission of God goes forward. This is what Paul means by, he's saying, I want to be all things to all people. He's saying, I want to remove any barrier. I want to remove any obstacle. I want to remove anything so that one may come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's saying, even I would rather die apart from Christ just so you could have Jesus in your life. Listen, what if, church, that we became that people, that God continued to grow this in us, that we will do whatever it takes so that every person in the city of Tyler feels like they could come and worship at Green Acres. What if we took steps intentionally with high integrity and said, guess what? If you are white, you belong here. If you are black, you belong here. If you are Hispanic, you belong here. If you are Asian, you belong here. Why? Because we are all equal at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is where... You and I must have the conviction to reveal God's love to people. And it doesn't matter because this is what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. He says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the lamb they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb listen nobody is going to care what color you are nobody is going to care what car you drive what house you have nobody's going to care what job you had what position you held no one is going to care about those things on this day of this wedding ceremony with the bride and the groom, Jesus Christ, and his church, that we are standing before the throne of God, worshiping him, saying, God, salvation belongs to you. Salvation belongs to you. Listen, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, you will be clothed in a white robe. Nobody's going to care about anything else other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No one is going to care about anything else other than worshiping God alone. And this is a reminder for us that just as heaven will be, this is how our church should be. Worshiping who? Jesus. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Nothing else matters. And so many times, you and I, we are just guilty of being okay with the way things are. But what if we did 
what if we did something different? Like, what if we did something that maybe other churches aren't willing to do? What if we said, we're going to do everything it takes to reach every person in our city? doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter about any of those things. What if, we're gonna, what if we were that church? What if God continued to chisel away favoritism in my heart? Chisel away favoritism in your heart so that we might reach all people for the glory of God. Because listen, this is where he ends this talk. We have to remember the mercy of God. And this requires the compassion of God. You see, we have to have this compassion to remember God's mercy because without the mercy of God in our lives, we have no compassion for others. But this is what is startling to me and why you and I just can't push this off to the side. Because this is what he says in verse 13. He says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's saying to you and I, we have to be that people to extend the mercy of God unless you just simply don't have the mercy of God in your own life. Do you know how Jesus said it in, in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said this, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. James flips it up that upside down for a little bit of emphasis here. He says, you don't show mercy, you don't get mercy. You don't show compassion, you don't get compassion. You don't show the love of Christ, you don't have the love of Christ. He said, we have to be that people that no matter what, no matter who, that we see all people with the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ because those who have the gospel must share the gospel. Those who have mercy must give mercy. Those who have the compassion of Jesus must show compassion to Jesus. And it doesn't matter the ways of the world. It doesn't matter that the world tells us that we should be separated from different people. And, and then, you know, it just makes more sense if you just kind of stay in the comfort of whoever you want to hang out with. No, that's not how the family of God works. We show mercy because God showed me mercy when I did not belong to his family. I was the orphan. I was the one who was not like God. I was the one who was not like Jesus. I was the one who was broken, spiritually impoverished, spiritually dead before God. That's my story. And guess what? That is your story. And by God's grace, he said, I know you're different from me. I know you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give you my compassion. I'm going to give you my mercy because not because you deserve it, but because I love you. And this is the gospel that you and I are preaching. And this is the gospel that you and I are called to live. Maybe, maybe this is difficult because you don't really have Jesus in your life. All of us in this room have things to repent of. 
but, but maybe there's a struggle in your life to show mercy and to show compassion because you've never experienced the mercy of God yourself. Well, the Bible tells us, listen, today is that day for salvation, that you can give your life to Jesus right now, that you can trust him for all eternity. And he who knew no sin, he became sin so that you might receive that white robe of God's righteousness that you and I will be dressed in with our palm branches singing praises to Jesus at his throne. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there on that day? I'm pleading with you to consider your salvation right now. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, that today is that day. There's nothing mystical about it, but you could simply pray Jesus, I need you to save me. And he will hear your prayer because he's the good father who looks at his children, loves his children so deeply that he is waiting for you to come to him. That's his compassion. That's his mercy. Those of you in the room that you've been saved, but you have some business to do with the Lord because you are just struggling with favoritism. You're struggling with racism. Maybe you're struggling with even ageism, that you don't want to deal with anybody older than you. You don't want to deal with anybody younger than you. Whatever it is that God is revealing in your heart, would you just give it to the Lord right now as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would continue to soften our hearts. God, that you would continue to chisel away what is stains by the world, God, so that we may live unstained in holiness with you. Father, I'm praying for the person right now who has never given their life to you. Jesus, I pray that today they will surrender to you. Whatever it takes, that they will surrender to you. Father, I pray for repentance right now across this room. In the areas of our lives, Father, that we don't even see. God, would you reveal those to us right now? God, where are we missing this with you? God, what if, what if favoritism is the one reason why revival tarries? Father, we want to get rid of it so that you may bring revival to us and to your people and to our city and to our nation. God, would you start right now? Start it right now, God. And by your spirit right now, will you fall on us and help us to respond according to your word. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord the Bible says that you will be saved and so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say God I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me if that's you today we want to help you and walk with you with this decision maybe for others of you uh, maybe you've been saved but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized uh, maybe you need to figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres. Whatever that decision is, we want to come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, 
We wanna walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.